Welcome to Religion Made Me Do It. I'm Brenna. And I'm Raquel. Hello. Hello. So this is part two of our Waco slash Vernon Howell slash David Koresh slash offshoot of offshoot of seventh day Adventist. You can't see what Brenna's doing with her arms, but she looks like an octopus. Okay. So <laughs> the octopus that declares who will win the World Cup every year is oh my, my favorite. I love that guy. His name's Paul, right? I think so. I think it's Paul. Didn't Paul die? My name's Paul. My name's Paul. Didn't Paul die though? If he did, they've got a new Paul by now. Do they just why don't why don't they just name him something different? Like David? Koresh? Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> he is David Koresh incarnate. That's how he can see the future, because he's chosen by God. He, he had that seed. <laughs> he planted the seed. So in last week's episode, we, of course, talked about um, Vernon Wayne Howell and the beginnings of what happens in Waco, Texas. And today we're going to uh, wrap, this, wrap up this uh, epic tale mm-hmm. of a... Uh, Religious cultism in Texas. We're going to um, explain how Vernon Howell becomes David Koresh. Dun, dun, dun. And the Waco siege. Dun, dun, dun. Bum, bum, bum. Bum. (laughs) (laughs) And then the aftermath um, and just. Dun, dun, dun. Yes, Brenna. Um, then, you know, Branch Davidians in general and their beliefs and because they still exist. But yeah. I think they're kind of secretive because there's a lot of, you know, shit associated with them. But we'll, we'll get into that. Um, I guess I'll just go ahead and jump right into it. Yeah. So we left off around 1987 when George Roden is shot in the head and chest in a gun battle um, or hands and chest, rather, I suppose. Yeah, and he um, gets sent to the hospital slash prison. Yep, um, because they had just, you know, had they a had resurrection. They had a power struggle. They had a power struggle that ended in a resurrection competition, which involved them exhuming dead bodies, which we all know is just not a good idea, but they somehow seemed to justify it. Um, so by 1990, after this guy goes to the mental hospital, um, the the compound at Waco is stuck with Vernon Howell, and he changes his name to David Koresh. Um, and by this time, he has asserted complete control over the compound. He said, I am your leader. Um, he basically got the name David Koresh because David is obviously, you know, he's like the guy after man. Uh, he, he's the man after God's own heart. Own heart. Um, and it's also related he's to. He's a king. Yeah. Like, and, and Jesus is like an offshoot of David. He, he's from David's seed, <laughs> I think. <laughs> so he's bringing it back and he's like, I'm David. And I'm, well, he doesn't yeah. claim that he's from Jesus' seed, but he does claim that he's going to have a seed that will rule the world. But we're going to get and there. He, and he names him, he changes his last name to Koresh because mm-hmm. that is uh, Cyrus, which mm-hmm. he also believes he is a reincarnation of uh, King Cyrus of Persia. Mm-hmm. And a recap that his job is to open the seven seals of Revelation. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we went over um, a bunch of David Koresh's, like, backstory which if you Um, want to listen to that it's last week's episode so do that yes yes basically he had like a pretty rough childhood his mother was very young mr retardo (sighs) poor thing um and he 
you know, he had dyslexia, he had a stutter and like he dropped out of high school because it was just really hard for him. And by the time that the siege comes up, this is what the Branch Davidians are like basically known for is this famous siege. By the time of the siege, he is 34 years old. I always thought that he was a little bit older, but he's like a fucking young pup. Yeah, he gets involved with them really young. Yeah. Um, So... Blah, 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 blah. He is considered the lamb by his followers, worthy of unlocking the seven seals and spreading the Bible's teachings to the world. So he thinks that he is this grand world messenger. Um, And he uses this, um, you know, lamb ordinance, I guess, as justification to um, justify some controversial practices. The main one being um, him taking spiritual wives. So he has this like main wife, his like main hoe. Yeah, the one that he he goes to Israel with. Which is basically him like looking at these other dudes who are at the compound and he's like, your wife's hot. I want her. Yeah. And well, like if you if you watch like some of the documentaries about them, like this is part of like his downfall, which I feel mm-hmm. like that is pretty like common for like most yeah. things. Um, like cult leaders do really well up until a certain point, and then they just like cross that line of like morality that you right. can't come back from. Right. And this is his. Yeah. I mean, so he's basically like enforces to everyone like he that he have sexual availability mm-hmm. ability to all women. And girls. Which, at the beginning of it, it's like, okay, you want to be non-monogamous, whatever. You want to, like, take on multiple wives, whatever. But don't take on 11-year-old girls into your little harem thing. That's illegal and bad. And And you're going to cause some serious damage to these people. Yeah, and not to mention that this also includes married women as well. And he basically tells all of the men that they're to remain celibate because his seed is holy. Yes. And is the only seed worth procreating Uh with. Yep. And so this, of course, like it starts up controversy outside of the compound, but also within the compound, which is really like where things start to take a turn. Um, But ultimately his orders and suggestions are followed because he is, you know, the lamb. And he's also like, you know, up to this point has said that he has visions and then believes mm-hmm. that he's Cyrus and meant to open the seals and blue, blue, blue. Yeah. And um, I, I didn't get into the branch dividends and their beliefs, but like I want to get into them a little bit real quick as, you know, just a sidestep. Um, so they believe that the Bible is the literal word of God and they look for clues about Christ's second coming in Revelation. So like, you know, a lot of Christians will stay on like, okay, you know, this is how we're going to exist in the world today. And this is what the Bible means. But like, I think particularly with the Branch Davidians, their biggest focus was on preparing for Christ's second return. Um, and they eventually became a self-sustaining group at this compound. Um, from what I understood, they like grew their own food. They, um, you know, they lived pretty simply and like they didn't have like a washing or yeah, dryer machine. I mean, I think that the main point was that they can live separately from the rest of the world exactly. to try to you be know, pure. Keep, yeah, keep yeah. them from like worldly thoughts and shit. But even though they were like centered at Waco and in Mount Carmel, um, they actually had a pretty wide circle of believers outside of the city itself. Um, and I think they had like little pockets growing around the world. Um, 
at least before the incident. Um, and, and they still exist today, but again, we'll get into that in a second. Right. Um, and they're considered millennial Christians. And this is like a term that I didn't actually understand before um, learning about this. Um, so what I gather is that millennialism is a cross-cultural belief grounded in the belief that Christ will establish a thousand-year reign, thus, you know, millennial, um, a thousand-year reign of the saints on earth, the millennium, before the last judgment. And then in a more broad, broad sense, um, it's the expectation of a time of supernatural peace and abundance on earth. So the reason that the Branch Davidians split away from the rest of society is because they believe that Christ is coming again and that they need to prepare and, of course, spread David Koresh's right. holy seed. And I think that that's also kind of similar to Judaism in that mm. they don't believe in, like, heaven. Like, they believe that... Like, they don't believe that it's going to be, like, a separate place. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure that, like, Jews believe that God will come back and reign on earth. Yeah, they just don't think that Jesus, as we know him, was the one to do so. Right. Yeah. Um, that so, false prophet. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it just, it seems like at this point that David Koresh is kind of losing it. He's having all these visions. He's, you know, like telling all these things. He's taking in child wives for Christ's sake. Like, what yeah. the fuck? Which, um, as Raquel mentioned, this does start a big mm -hmm. issue in, like, within the compound. Um, a group of followers that are Australian, they and, end up leaving. Yeah, I think at this point, like, the, the Australians leave. But also, like... This is the first time that they're coming into contact with the law as well. So, like, I, for a while, they're just, like, you know, they're living in their little hippie compound. They're doing their thing. Um, there had been allegations of um, child sex abuse, which is happening um, before. But law enforcement really doesn't do anything about it, which is the really fucked up part. Um, yeah. And I, Which is I why, like what happens like with the Australians because they leave, go back home mm -hmm. and then um, tell the government of the United States that like he's having sex with minors mm -hmm. and also that he's also beginning to hoard weapons. Yeah. And so uh, that it's an issue that, you know, children are in such like pro close proximity yeah. um, to these weapons. But I just think it's interesting that the child sex abuse is not enough to like for the, for the, authorities to be really you know revved up or like care right. about it a lot until they're like oh they have they're they have a gun retail business so that's right. awful we need well, to i think that step i mean in. i definitely don't think it's justified but i think that also perhaps some of the reason was that because they didn't want to cause upheaval because they thought you know similar to what will happen later that like if they try to take him away they'll fight mm -hmm. and i mean they already have like a small stash of weapons at this mm -hmm. point that they used um, when it was like Vernon against George. Yeah. Amongst other things. And so they're like, well, fuck. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. The allegations um, are like, I guess, finalized, if you could say, like they start going to court about it in 1992 when, and I don't know if this is the Australians, but like it says an ex-member sought custody of his daughter. So like apparently David had like taken this guy's daughter for himself and this guy was like i want my fucking daughter <laughs> and so then they you know have this um conflict and this is the year before the siege happened so right. there's a lot that's like leading up to this explosion if you will um 
And at this point, Koresh launches a retail gun business, and this led to extra suspicion from authorities. Um, they were also concerned that the Davidians might attack their neighbors while fulfilling an imagined end-time scenario. Right. Like, perhaps that they are, like, attacking the unholy or something. Right. Um, and then we get into the topic of the actual siege itself. So on February 28th, 1993, federal agents raid the compound of the Branch Davidians because they hear that David Koresh is violating federal firearms regulations, sparking a gun battle. Which he had been. He had because, been. Because, I mean, like, kind of like Raquel mentioned, like, after this whole first court case about him, like, goes viral about, I mean, not even viral because they didn't have internet really, but, yeah. but like, with the child it abuse. catches their attention. Yeah. With the, with the child sex abuse, but also that, you know, he's got a small stockpile of weapons from the last, you know, little issue that he had with George. Um, and then also that he's refusing some members to leave like i don't know it, it it's kind of similar to what you brought up about like that court case with this um one man about him taking his child mm -hmm. um there's like another incident where he refuses a woman to leave with her child which is also probably his because during his time there he has at least he fa he fathers at least 15 sons and 15 daughters within around Jesus. this like a hundred and maybe like around 200 people um in this section and he refused this woman to leave with her daughter and gets angry and rapes her um to make her stay and also at this time his sermons get darker and darker mm -hmm. and he believes that the coming judgment of armageddon will start at mount carmel and that they have to be prepared, which is what starts them really beginning to stockpile weapons. Yeah, and everybody's um, just like they're they're living out of fear at this point. So right. they're just ready for something to go down. Right. Um, and I would be too. Yeah. Like if that was the situation. And so like the FBI hears of this and gets the ATF involved. And so they start putting like um little amounts of surveillance like spotting it like throughout um the compound mm -hmm. um either getting people like to speak with him um either like in passing and say like oh i'm interested in like joining and so they like visit um and hear kind of like what they're talking yeah, about they did some like spy work because like i yeah. saw it in the netflix documentary that they like implied it right but i didn't like read it in the sources that I had. Right. So it's, it's really crazy because how they end up finding out that, you know, cause I mean, he's going, he's Lee, David is leaving the compound to go and pick up weapons. Um, and he's also having them sent to the compound illegally. Mm. Um, which what it's up happening is that the reason that they finally, you know, could have arrested him is because they find they get like a video of him getting sent illegal grenades, I think, from like another country, oh, shit. like off like the dark web or something <laughs> or not the dark web. Yeah, that doesn't exist. But like the black, the black market. market. Yeah. Um, because that's extremely illegal, you know, because they're, you know, stockpiling for Judgment Day. God. Um, which is um happening now 
Yeah. Yeah. So that they can, you know, fight off all the non-believers, which are pretty much everybody that's not like within their sect um, around Mount Carmel where this is going to start. And Mm -hmm. of course, because, you know, he believes that he is the Messiah and that he hears prophecies from God. Like this pretty much just whole thing snowballs. Yeah. Like he starts thinking, you know, that he has visions and then it turns into he's Cyrus and now it's like he is God and like he has the seed. Well, I'm not sure if he actually makes that claim. It's he does compare himself to Jesus though. Right. Which I mean, like if you believe in like the traditional Godhead, like Jesus is part of God and God at the same time. So he definitely believes that he's some type of, he's like God adjacent. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah. So this is just, you know, snowballing. And then finally the ATF, which gets involved in the situation Mm -hmm. because the FBI does initially, but it's like a smaller, more compact set Mm -hmm. closer to Waco and Mount Carmel. So they get enough evidence on him and could have arrested him when he was in town to buy more guns, but they chose not to and decided to continue to conduct surveillance, which I think is really fucked up. Is there any, like... Did they release any sort of explanation as to why they didn't? So the reason... If they separate him from the group, like, they could have very easily, like, gotten the rest of them out, you know? Well, see, I imagine that probably it's because they wanted to get rid of the group altogether. Yeah. Probably because they thought it was, like, you know, a dangerous, you know, kind of cult thing. They thought if it's not him, it's going to be somebody else within the group? Probably. I mean, because... Like, historically, you know, they're having, like, similar issues. I mean, that whole thing with George and Vernon, a.k.a. David at the time, was, Yeah, the tensions have been running high for a while. Right. And so, but, like, it's so funny because the reason that they decided to run surveillance for so long was because they didn't just want to go and bust in and get him because they figured that the people would fight back. Yeah. Which is what they end up doing, which I know you're going to talk about. Mm -hmm. But, like, I just think that it's really ridiculous that... Especially given, like, how many children are in here. Because at this point, they have, I think it's around, like, 46 children out of, like, 117 in his group. Mm-hmm. You know, and not just, like, older, like, little like very, children. Very, very young children. Yeah. And, and so instead of, you know, deciding to just arrest him out in the open when they could have, they decide to wait. Yeah. And then they raid the compound and um, four ATF agents, and I I didn't know this before, but ATF is alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. We were talking about this before. It's kind of a strange combination, but they're all together. Um, Four ATF agents and six Davidians are killed in the battle, and then they finally lead to a ceasefire. And um, at this point, they bring in, like, the FBI, they bring in hostage negotiators, and, like, reporters arrive, and, like... The siege is broadcasted throughout the nation and the world. Like, I'm pretty sure my parents remember this happening. And, like, most people do. Yeah. Like, it was a big deal. If you were alive at that time and, like, conscious, like, you probably remember this happening because it was freaking nuts. Yeah. Um, Because, I mean, the other thing, like, right before they decide to raid, um, as I mentioned before, they have like FBI slash ATF agents that try to infiltrate the compound by mm-hmm. saying that they're interested in joining. There's this one, you know, informant um, that's talking to David on February 28th and shows him this a news article that's, you know, going around Texas calling him the sinful messiah. 
Mm. um, because they know that he's stockpiling weapons Mm -hmm. and tells him, you know, that they're planning on raiding them that day. Mm -hmm. This informant does. And David's like, I already know. Yeah. And he still chooses, you know, not to do anything about it just because he he, had a vision about it or no, like he found out about the raid. Like, I guess, I guess some, you know, they just weren't very careful or something, Mm -hmm. but you know, when, when they, when they start the raid, like it's unclear which side fired first. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, they say that the shooting lasted more than six, no more than 60 minutes. And, you know, at that first bit, David is wounded, um, two times in like, I think the arm. And then he walks upstairs, calls the police to try to get them to stop shooting. (laughs) Right. Um, and they're like, nah, nah, bitch. Like we came here for a reason. Like, (laughs) right. And so like on the second floor, he ends up getting shot in the hip, which, Mm. you know, makes him fall. And that's when like the ceasefire starts. Mm -hmm. And so like, that's when they start negotiating, like, like what we can do. And they get stuck at the compound. They get yeah. It becomes a fifty-one day siege. Right, because that is what he believed was um, so. Like part of you know this coming judgment day, David believed and had like a vision that it was going to be fifty-one days of this siege Jeez. as part of Armageddon. That it was going to take that long, and so like he decides to start holding on to all the people, which I'm pretty sure that they're probably somewhat okay with because, you know, they're, yeah. they've they stood by him. him in the first place. Yeah. Right. But also, like, there's 117 people in here, I believe, and 46 of those are children. And so, like, I believe at the very beginning, he lets out around 14 of the children mm-hmm. go. Because that, they're trying to get food and supplies and they're negotiating. Yeah. And so he lets, like, a couple of them trickle out at first but holds on to the rest of them and then just continues to like let a few groups trickle on out every once in a while. But then finally he's like, nah, bitch, like we done. Like, yeah, you need to give me what I want. Um, which was also like his big thing is that when he finds out that the media is getting so involved in what's happening, um, this excites him and mm. is kind of what spurs him to hold off, not just because of the 51 days, but because he believes that it's his job to profess to the mm. entire world and save everyone. Yeah. Um, so like, this is the perfect opportunity. And so he's basically like, I will let people go if you let me do a sermon on air. Mm-hmm. basically and so they agree but then he like turns it back and he's like i'm not letting any more people go i don't care what you want like i'm not yeah. doing it what what i gathered from uh my research was that like he threat like he threatened violence against those who might harm his family but he also claimed that they weren't planning a mass suicide which i don't know if that's like if if it was really deemed a suicide or if he set the whole place on fire but I guess that's kind of what we're going to go into. Um, and apparently there's like part of the reason this raid was so botched and so controversial is because like they had some internal division about how they were going to handle the situation. So like within the ATF officers and the FBI, like they didn't know how to approach it. And there was a lot of different tactics that they wanted to take and they couldn't really agree. And then it just ended up spiraling out of control. Right. And that's like at that point, 
is when, and at the, also the same point in which David's like, I'm not giving in anymore. Like either you're going to let me do like this broad recording or I'm not giving you any more people. Mm -hmm. And that's like the part, you know, so I have that like April 14th Mm -hmm. is when he gets like a vision that God has has to finish the seven seals that he has to finish um, writing down the seven seals. And What, 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 what is the seals? I like kept reading this, but I didn't understand what it was. So basically like the seven seals are like a section in revelation, which talk about, um, how the world is going to end. Why is it a seal? So it's basically like, so think of like a seal on a letter. It's like basically like opening Pandora's box from this seal. So it's like you open this and this is what happens. You open this one and this is what happens. And it's like varying degrees of what, of what will happen to the earth and all of its people and like the good and the evil up until like God destroys everything virtually. Okay. And so like he's received this vision on April 14th that he needs to pro that he needs to write these down and then profess them to the world Mm -hmm. um, in this recording. And also because he's being non-compliant, like the rest of the, you know, the, the rest of the community kind of like Raquel said, is is trying to decide, like, how they're going to take care of this. And so then we have the tanks. <laughs> that's, that's what they decide yeah. to do. With, with they probably- run them directly into the compound. And they, I thought this was interesting. Uh, on April 19th, they penetrate the compound with uh, tear specially gas. equipped tanks in CS gas. It just, it's a form of tear gas. And it's like... I don't know. This is kind of like hitting home because like, you know, it's uh, fucking September of 2020. We've just had a bunch of protesters and they're being like tear gassed. They're being tear gassed with the same stuff, the CS gas, which is flammable and like very, very toxic. And like they're using it in this full on hostage situation, but they're also using it for protesters, which I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. All right. It is interesting because, you know. I mean, I understand, like, they're not compliant, and they're also, like, I mean, they're basically, like, a little miniature army Yeah, that's not being controlled, which, and basically, like, a little bit of, you know, an anarchist, like, I think community. they're even considered, like, a militia, because, like, around this time, like, there are militias, like, popping up all over the country. Um, I can't remember where I had it, like, in my notes um yeah yeah yeah. so like oh oh, oh. so this happened afterwards that like there was a lot of resentment about the government's handling of the case and um there after this like a bunch of homegrown militias like popped up around the u.s right well it's probably just because they didn't feel safe yeah and you know i get that to an extent like if Mm -hmm. you don't feel safe with like the powers that be you know Like, that was why it was originally written in our Constitution about, you know, the right to bear arms. And, like, of course, that's been taken out of context, like, in times like these with, you know, school shootings and, like, lack of regulations and other things. Um, But in its essence, I understand that and think that it's a pretty justifiable... Yeah, you you should have the right to defend yourself. Right. Yeah. Um, But maybe not create a small army. I don't know. Right. Um, so yeah. So as Raquel said, April 19th, like they just decide to pull out all the stops and they bring these, um, tanks and tear gas infused tanks that just shoot these things into this compound, which has around 46 children in it. 
of 117 people and they think this mm-hmm. is, you know, the best way and literally smoke them out, mm-hmm. you know, and these people are basically suffocating, having difficulties breathing. But then they start to hear gunfire and I think this is what starts the fire. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Okay. Do you then, think the gunfire started the fire or that it was set intentionally? It was arson. Well, do they know? I don't think so. And I think that's part of the mystery that surrounds it. Right. So, I mean, basically, you know, they tear gas them and, you know, a fire starts either from, you know, the ammunition rounds and like the sparks and the gas and everything, or it's either set perhaps by David Koresh or his followers, but 75, 79 people get killed in this fire. Yeah. They don't know officially whether it was a mass suicide or if the um, agents, them because they had set off the flammable explosives and the gunfire, like, right. added to it, that it started the fire that way. Right. But I guess that's something we'll just never know. You're right. Well, it's, it's funny because they find David in the compound's chapel with a bullet in his head. Mm. And they're not certain if it's self-inflicted or if it was, you know, external. Yeah, maybe somebody was like, you're done. Right. <laughs> you're but, or, or if it was like, you know, the FBI agents or whatever. But, I mean, like, it's a good question mark, you know. Like, mm-hmm. I, if he killed himself, like, I wouldn't be surprised, like, if they started the fire. Yeah. But, like, you know, if if not, because, I mean, it did seem like the whole point was – you know, coming to judgment and Armageddon. So I feel like the whole point was to live and fight. Yeah. And like he had this whole plan for his seed. Right. Yeah. And you know, that seed can't go on if he ain't alive no more. Yeah. Um, so I think in total nine Davidians escape the fire investigators find was it 76 or 79 dead inside 79 people that were okay killed. i think the i think the numbers are kind of sketchy from because wherever they didn't have like an actual they list. didn't know who all lived there they didn't i mean you it's know it's very unofficial yeah um and that includes 25 children god um and then but some some note the number is higher around 80 um, and then, like Brenna said, they ha- some had fatal gunshot wounds, including Koresh, suggesting that it could be a suicide or a murder-suicide. Um, a few of the survivors of the raid were tried in court afterwards. They were found not guilty of the murder of the ATF officers, but they did receive lengthy jail time because of their behavior during and after the raid. Um, yeah, so that's that is the siege. I just... Itself. I'm just, like... This all could have been prevented if they had just arrested him. Yeah. And, like... Or taken the... uh, My thing is that they could have taken the allegations against him seriously when they were claiming that there was child sex abuse charges. Because that seems like plenty of allegation... Right. ...to to, to put this guy in jail and to actually try this guy. Right. Well, what I kind of, like, mentioned before, and I think in our last episode, is that I think... Or maybe this one, I don't remember. Is this that, like, I feel like this is purposeful that because they figured... This is purposeful bad intent and bad policing. And I think that probably the reason that they didn't want to arrest him was so that they could just off the whole group, Mm. you know, legally, quote unquote, um, and have the law by their side doing, you know, that such thing rather than just arresting him, probably because they figured that there would be a revolt and like these people had firearms or like another one would just rise from the ashes or whatnot. Like they just Mm -hmm. wanted to like get the like stop. squash the yes, problem entirely mm-hmm. which 
is horrible. Yeah. Especially given how many of those were children. Yeah. At least 25. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, um, so uh, the, the, the government's handling of the siege is widely criticized and it's considered a botched raid. Like, it's not considered a success story in any sort of sense of the word. Yeah, it's kind of um, like Breonna Taylor. Yeah. Essentially, yeah. Arrest those cops. Arrest the fucking cops who killed Breonna Taylor because, I mean, they may have technically had a warrant to be there, but no-knock warrants... That No-knock warrants are ridiculous. It, it sounds so... I mean, if somebody comes to your house in the middle of the night and they don't even knock and they bust in, what are you going to do? If you have a firearm, you're going to fucking shoot it. And they arrested the guy who sh- shot at the police in self-defense. Thankfully, they've, you know, let him go since then. But they also killed his partner, Brianna Taylor. Who was sleeping. Who was fucking asleep. Not to mention that the allegations for that raid were completely false. Yeah. They found nothing there. And th- they had the no-knock warrant on the basis that there could have been drugs there. That's I'm bullshit. sorry. I'm sorry. But, like, in my little white suburban town, the, like, the cops knew that there were drugs, like, around the town, and they did not do anything about it. But the second that they hear that there could be drugs in somebody's house, they decide to raid it and consider these people highly armed and dangerous. Like, Yeah. <laughs> yeah so arrest those motherfuckers arrest them what are their names we need to say their names yeah say that say that name. well may- maybe don't give attention to their names but also they shouldn't live in uh anonymity, anonymity because like anyways it's a google search you can find them um there's plenty of places to donate please support the cause please donate and also donate to um What's what's the guy's name? The GoFundMe for oh um in Kenosha, Wisconsin. In Kenosha, Wisconsin. Um, gosh, I'm so sorry. The name is escaping me right now. Unfortunately, there have been a lot of cases lately. Yeah, to like today with NYU, or not I NYU. Um, haven't heard about New that. York, in New York, upstate New York, with a guy. Was that the one with the bag around his head? I think it was either that or he also got... a trigger warning if any of this like yeah, it's just ridiculous. It's it's ridiculous and things are getting crazy. Unjustified, unjustified evil. Police police need to be held to the same accountability as regular citizens. That's just how it should be. If you are carrying a firearm in this country and you aren't taking it seriously, yeah, like, anyways. We could go on for days <laughs> yeah. about that, but please donate to Black Lives Matter and to um, any the organization that supports any organization, any family that has been affected by this. Which there have been a lot. There have been a lot of families, and unfortunately, a lot of families that are unnamed and haven't, you know, quote gone viral because you know that's just the way our culture is. Yeah, now. think about how many. Sons, daughters, brothers, sisters, children haven't come home because of misuse, mistraining, mm-hmm. hatred, because racism. police don't have police don't even have the same amount of time spent in training as hairdressers. So maybe if you should maybe if you're carrying a gun in this country, you need to have some proper training. But anyways, um, so 
back to uh, Waco itself and a very early example of um, maybe just police disorganization in this case. Just poor... Poor judgment. Poor judgment. Poor poor use of and power. Probably lack of probably lack of training. Yeah. And lack I of mean, emotional training also. Right. I mean... Um, if you think it's justified to chill, to kill children, no matter what that child is doing, that's fucked up. Yeah. It doesn't matter if their mother or father are so-and-so and they believe such-and-such. Such, like, they need to be To kill saved someone at all in costs. general. Yeah. No matter what they're doing. Like, unless they're, like, actually strangling you or hurting you or trying to kill you. Yeah. If it's not self-defense, don't do it. Yeah. Oh, boy. So, yes, their um, handling of the siege is widely criticized, and for good reason. Um, The government has always maintained that it played no role in starting the fires on the compound, but evidence came out in 1999 that revealed that the CS gas is flammable under certain conditions, so it very well could have started the fire, but again, there's no, like, certain evidence. And in 2000, it's determined in, in an investigation led by John Danforth, who apparently, like, used to be a senator, um, that the agents did not start the fires or shoot at the compound. Um, Which, like, that's a big question mark for me because they get into a whole-ass gun battle. Right. They they raid the compound. I don't know. Well, is this referring to the first time? Because the first time, it's unclear which side fired first. But Mm. that's the one that left him wounded so like how would he be wounded if it wasn't somebody from outside unless it's somebody from within i don't know i don't know these are all just the big question marks surrounding the um, case and probably why it's still popular today why people you know are interested in it like us um but despite all this resentment lingers against the government's handling of the case um and this is what you know fuels the growth of homegrown militias around the states, people start becoming very um, distrustful of the government. Um, And Branch Davidians still have a presence in Waco and around the world. Um, Immediately after the incident, they disband, but apparently 25 members or so survive the fire and they reorganize. They publish the writing of Koresh and begin to rebuild the movement. Um, and they move to Mount Carmel, I believe. I'm my my sources are a little bit hazy there. Again, I don't know for sure exactly what happened. They regroup. They they regroup. Um, and then a man named Clive Doyle is serving as lay preacher for the group in 2003. I don't know if anything has been updated since then. Um, in addition to Doyle's congregation, another sect of Davidians build a church on top of the ashes of the compound and place a plaque with the names of Davidians who died in the raid. Um, and then the last quote that I have is from um, history.com. And it says, calling themselves branch, the Lord our righteousness, the group is led by Charles Pace. I guess he's a new guy who's leader- leading it. Um, who be came a Davidian in 1973, but left Mount Carmel after Koresh's rise. He says, I just felt I needed to be here to represent the true church. Pace told the Associated Press of his 1994 return to the group. Pace sees himself 
as the legitimate successor of Lois Rodin, the previous prophetess of the Branch Davidians and believes Koresh corrupted the group's message. So the people who live there still, like they believe that the whole thing was like not really the whole core message of what happened, but rather, you know, it was just like a little blip in a little glitch in the simulation. Um, and they claim that it's not really, you know, David Koresh was not preaching what the Davidians are really about. And that's all I have on the situation. Yeah, it's just a lot. It's a lot. It was it was really fucked up. I mean, I mean there was wrong like doing on both sides. And, yeah. I mean, forget about like the aspects of like you know, the sex and the gun the gunslinging and hoarding and the children. I mean, it's just a fucked up situation in general. It's a fucked up situation. I mean, the uh, people under David Koresh were allowing horrendous things to go on. Um, but the thing is, like, those kids could have gotten out of there, you know? Right. Well, he they did, like, they did, like... They let out some. Yeah, over time, but then... But I feel like the situation could have been avoided if it was handled in a more appropriate way. Yeah, 100%. It's a lot. It's a crazy story, which is why it's, you know, still so, like buzzed about it's intriguing for sure i mean they just made a netflix documentary not documentary but like it's a dramatization of it yeah it it was i I haven't finished it but like it felt a little weird to watch because like i don't know it felt like they were kind of like really really sympathizing with david koresh and i understand like he's a very complicated human being and a lot of shit like happened to him but like I think I made it to, like, the third episode out of, like, what, four or five? And, like, they only barely address the issue that he's a literal pedophile. Like, they don't... But it's in the name of God, so it's okay. (sighs) Christ almighty. But, yeah. But that's what the uh, priests told themselves, too. Yeah, for sure. And nuns. It's just an unfortunate circumstance overall. For people on both sides, I mean, people on both sides died. Um, children, children fucking died. died. Like a lot of people died in. Like I mean, most of the people, I, I'd say, a majority died in the fire. Um, yeah, because I mean, seventy nine people were killed in that fire, and only nine survived. Yeah, I mean, but I, I mean, that doesn't include the ones that were trickled out in like groups beforehand. Yeah. Which it does seem that there was like a fair amount that he let go. That's good. But also, I mean, I think he was still trying to, like, keep that little militia mm-hmm. close at home to protect him. Yeah. You know. So. I guess my final take on this is that, like, this is what happens when people become radicalized, I guess. You know? Yeah. And people become armed for the sake of these things. And uh, I don't know. I'm still... Um, it's a lot to process. It's it's a lot to process for sure. Yeah. And I mean, there are definitely sections that we did not cover. So uh-huh. like if you were inclined to read more about this story, there's a, a million articles, a million documentaries. It's a really fascinating story. Mm-hmm. I thought that it's a very widely covered story. Also, Yeah. I mean, because I mean, it's not it's not old. Like I, uh-uh. I, I remember, you know, my parents talking about watching this. It was four news. years like, before we were born. Right. So, yeah. 
And it's yeah. also, you know, in Texas, you know, a massive state <laughs> where a lot of people country. live. <laughs> yeah. So, so, I mean, if you're interested, I highly recommend going and re- watching some videos, reading yeah. some articles, because it's a really interesting story. Like, it's just like when you get together, just this this radical sense of self-righteousness combined with, you know, this group following, like in the, in the dramatization, like it's kind of implied that Koresh kind of targets people in a way. Like he, well, he obviously did because I mean, he was so charismatic and uh-huh. beautiful and different and, and he, young that he yeah. was able to like, you know, get under people's, skin in such like a small like unnoticeable way that you know left them not to mention that he was so well versed in bible knowledge Uh and was able to speak about it charismatically he was a very impressive human being yeah like incredibly smart he definitely knew his bible like that was something um that lois had stated was part of the reason why she ended up um, endorsing him after she died was because he mm. would give such, you know, long and abrasive and awe-inspiring sermons about, you know, how to live and do right. And did you watch the Netflix no adaptation of it? Um, I feel like this it was, you know, like presented particularly with the character of Thibodeau. Um, he's just this like young kid and like. David Koresh actually is, like, playing a show at this place. And I don't know if this actually happens. It may have been in, like, one of Thibodeau's memoirs or something. But, like, Thibodeau doesn't have anywhere to go. Like, he doesn't have, like, anybody to turn to. He has a really rough family life, kind of like David Koresh. And, like, David kind of taps into this. And he, like, brings these people into the compound because, like, he has this sense of understanding and knows that they don't have anywhere else to go. And I guess in this right. game, sort of manipulates right. them. Right, and I've watched, like, other documentaries, like, in the past, um, especially when I think this hit, like, its 20-year mm-hmm. mark is when they started, like, doing, like, a whole bunch of, like, re-upped news stories about. Like in 2013? Yeah, about what happened. Um, and, you know, some of these women that, like, escaped were, you know, talking about, oh, he was just so charismatic. I didn't have anywhere to go, but like I knew that I believed in God and this was like a community Mm. that fed me and clothed me and took care of me and my child that, you know, I had with David because he was the Messiah and blah, blah, blah. And so it's almost like, I feel like there's a level in which you believe, but then there's another branch that if it's intertwined with your safety and the safety of your child and being fed and not having anywhere else to go, then it just kind of spirals. Mm -hmm. Well, it's like total dependency on mm -hmm. this person and this movement. Right. And then it's almost that you're, because of why you're so entangled with it for that need of safety and, you know, your hierarchical needs, it's almost that you almost turn a blind eye to, you know, what's happening. Similar, I mean, because it's a form of abuse. Mm-hmm. It's a form of control. It's like emotional. Uh-huh. It's it's psychological abuse in which, like, if you, you can't leave because where will you go? Yeah. It, 
You've committed your entire life to this person. You've had children with this person. You've you've given up so much right. for this person and for this cause that you like, don't even know who you are anymore exactly. without this person. Yeah, because of what they've brainwashed you into thinking. And there's so much psychological damage that comes with the just just the the cat- catastrophizing that comes with believing in the end time saga in itself right but that's which is why it's so incredibly dangerous when people turn culty with religion because uh this is because religion is something that people base their entire life upon and how they live it how they raise their children um where they you know their their own philosophy their ideas of their soul etc and so when you start intertwining that with your basic needs and what you need for survival that's incredibly that can be incredibly dangerous if you get involved in a community that takes it to an extreme or begins to do things that aren't right um you know whether or not you initially thought that it was wrong or if you initially thought that you know the religious values and everything lined up with your own beliefs but then later you don't even realize that it's happening because you've got you've had to take on such a dependency to what's happening because you don't have any other choice mm-hmm. i mean similar with people that have trauma related experiences with religion it's because it's so engrossing yeah. because these people because not just these people, but just people in general, if you, if you believe in something so wholeheartedly in that it's going to affect you and your family's outcome of heaven or hell or life and death and whatever else, like that's terrifying. It feels like life and death. And I mean, like I had a similar experience with this. Like I had very like trauma related, like religious experiences where like, I mean, I witnessed my family going through, uh, I mean, just, you know, family shit. And um, in a lot of ways, like, we felt as if that God had saved our family. And God had saved so many people in our family individually. Um, and, you know, the, the situations I'm going to keep from the podcast just because, like, uh, I personal. don't want to get – It's very personal. Um, but, like, it was very scary it was so it was it felt like the bottom was dropping out from underneath me when you know i started disbelieving in these things because that's what you've based your entire existence exactly. off exactly and i had so much trust in the religion itself that it felt like if i betray this religion i am betraying my family i'm betraying what we have gone through and i am betraying myself and potentially my own salvation yeah um but, like, when you come out the other side, you realize that, like, you have so much more. I, personally, I realized that I had so much more um, self-sufficiency than what I had ever given myself before. Yeah, same. For for me, similar thing. And it was, like, when I finally let go of what was holding me back, which was those toxic slash overbearing thoughts of right and wrong and if I did wrong I was going to hell if I did right so liberating Mm -hmm. so freeing so where I was able to like actually be who I wanted to be and not what someone else wanted me to be based on what they thought my life and salvation should look like Mm -hmm. which should never be the case because life and death and salvation is something personal only to 
the person itself. Yeah. And how liberating it is to be able to go about your life without thinking that kind of like everything that you do is life and death. And I know that some people who believe in Jesus and Christianity will say that, you know, like, oh, you already are forgiven and like you are. And, and I think that is great. I think there's lots of Christianity, lots of Christians who behave in such a way that is very healthy and very good and healing for the world in general also. Right. Well, there's plenty of, you know, people that, you know, in believe any religion. in religion uh-huh. that feel the same way that we do without religion mm-hmm. with it. Yeah. And again, this this goes back to the same point that we kind of drive home in every single podcast is that like... You it's need okay. to come to this of your own volition. F- from your own volition. And it's okay to maybe either admit that you're wrong or it's okay to even question. It's okay to question your own beliefs and what you're what you've grown up with. I would and say that it's vital to have a healthy yes. relationship with your religious values. Absolutely. Um, and you know, I, I guess that all comes down to the point of like, does your religion serve you and does it like like add to your life and to those around you or does it, does it give it harm you it? purpose? Does it give you purpose? Does it free you from whatever confines that you or the world has built for you? Mm-hmm. Does it free your mind? Does it free your soul? Does it make you feel safe? Uh-huh. And I think for a lot of people that it does do that. And that's why it... it, it, it well, I think <sighs> it should because that's kind of the point of it. Yeah. But also like... I think that's why people get so passionate about it too when they're talking about it to other people. And it's like, well, because other they're like, people, well, if I have this, then you should be able you, to you have, can have this it too. And I understand for the same way. I understand that it comes across like you think it is such a good thing and it's such an honorable and noble thing. And maybe for you it is, but for some people, like it's just not the way to go. It's not what they resonate with. It all comes down to what you resonate with and how you view God yourself. Right. Well, we're all different and we all have Uh very different backgrounds and upbringings and thoughts about, you know, who and what we are and where we go and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And so to expect that your experience of how something makes you feel is going to be the same for someone else isn't. Uh Uh-huh. You're kidding yourself. Yeah. So basically it just, it all feels like it's all the same way to the, it's all different ways to the same goal, end goal. You know, people at a core want a better world and people want to have hope and people want to believe in something bigger than themselves. And I think religion is such an incredible way to do that. I think when it begins to encroach on other people's rights, to find their own path to the all of those things is when it starts to get dangerous. And then you start to have situations like, you know, Waco, where people are literally dying because yeah. you are so radicalized to the point that um, you, you know, y- you view it as <laughs> such life and death. Right. To the point that you will fight and risk other people's lives for the sake of this cause. Children's lives. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) 
We really got in our soapboxes with that one. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't expecting that in the slightest. That was good. That was but good. it was good. It felt good. Yeah. Um, well, thank you all for listening to this. Thank you yes. for Brian for producing us and mm-hmm. listening to our shit and cutting out our, our dumb shit. <laughs> um, send us our an email. Oz. Yeah. Send us an email. Please. At religionmademedoit at gmail.com with suggestions, comments, stories. Topics. Topics. Personal stories? Yes. Maybe you want to yell at us. I don't know. That's fine. You can do it, boo. Yeah. Yeah. You do you. We won't you yell back. You do you, boo boo. <laughs> you do you. That's um, from uh, my boy uh, on YouTube. Not Cody Co. this time. <laughs> it's all, it usually is Cody Co. It's an old uh, dear Mr. Atheist, but I can't, yes. I can't remember what his channel's name is now. Yes, of course. Um... But yeah, thank you so much for listening and um, send us a DM on the Instagram. Follow us on Instagram at religion and Twitter. Made me do it. Instagram at religion made me do it. Twitter at religion made me. Um, it obviously made David Koresh. It definitely made David Koresh, man. That, that man didn't have much of a personality outside of it, which is really sad. Um, yeah. But yeah, send us uh, your comments, questions, concerns, all of that stuff. And you can follow our personal accounts as well. I am Raquel Blackwood. Um, and I also have like a Spotify situation going on. I do music. So yeah. yeah. You can follow me at Brenna Ferris Wheel on Instagram. And you can also follow Brian at b.ryan.c. Yes. Okay, we got the nod of approval <laughs> from yeah. Brian. And thank you, Brian, for producing us and for um, dealing with oh, our shit. antics. Yes. I feel like I've said that three times now. Oh, really? In this episode? Yeah. Shit. <laughs> Probably. We're very grateful. <laughs> Fuck. Remind me to cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> All, All right. right. Well, whatever you're doing and wherever you are, I day hope or night. it is a great time, day or night. Maybe it's 12 o'clock in the morning. You're grabbing a midnight snack. You can't go to sleep. You wanted um, the sound of our lovely voices to lull I don't feel like I have that. I feel like my voice sounds really whiny. Same. And I said that in a really whiny way. Same. Same. <laughs> All right. Good night, guys. Good or good night. morning. Good afternoon. Yes. Have a happy Sunday or whenever you're really we're releasing it on Sunday. But whenever yeah. you're listening to this. Peace. Goodbye. Mm-hmm.